0: If you and I were to spend a week in archery elk camp together, you know, 24-7, trying to get within, you know, 20 to 50 yards of a big bull, uh, after those seven days, we're going to be battle buddies. I mean, we'll have been through a lot together. You may have taken the biggest elk of your life, and, and that's not a moment you're going to forget, so it's, it's a neat thing.
1: to the rna outdoors podcast where expert advice becomes real results at rna we are a public lamb diy conservationists that like to share our passion for the outdoors so join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful I'm Dan Adler with Diamond Outfitters of Arizona, and you're listening to the RNA Outdoors Podcast. Okay, we are back on the Trade Show U.S. Tour, uh, coming to you live from the 2017 Sheep Show. This is the RNA Outdoors Podcast, and I'm your host, Lucas Paw. We are broadcasting to you from actually a sunny and a little bit warmer morning here in Reno, Nevada. Yesterday, we woke up to quite a bit of snow. And the previous day, there was actually a lot of snow that was hitting here in the uh, the basin here in Reno, Nevada. So we're happy to be here. Um, this is day three of the sheep show. Uh, for the for most of the listeners that have been following us, uh, we've been here uh, since Thursday, uh, and it's what they call sheep week. So it's a really neat time to catch up with a lot of folks and, and just talk about you know sheep and, and the Wild Sheep Federation and, and just ensuring that uh, conservation efforts are, are still in place for those animals. So we're excited to be here. And uh, today we've got a really, really fun guest. Uh, he's actually a TV personality. He is uh, part of the co-host of Jack Peterson's production for Best of the West TV series on the Pursuit Channel. Uh, Dan is the owner and outfitter for Diamond Outfitters in Arizona. And uh, if you ever go on their website or go onto their YouTube page. They take some pretty incredible animals year after year. So pretty fortunate to sit down uh, with Dan today. He's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to elk hunting, uh, coos deer hunting, also mule deer hunting, and also speaks nationally uh, at hunting conventions every year. I Actually, I think... Dan's got a couple seminars that he's doing today, so he's a pretty busy guy, but uh, without any further ado, I'd like to welcome um, Dan Adler uh, to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Welcome, Dan. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Lucas, and RNA Outdoors, this is an awesome opportunity to spend some time with you guys here in Reno at the Great Sheep Week. Absolutely. So we're just kind of going to dive in um, while we're here. We're actually here early in the morning, so we can try to beat uh, some of the rush, but We've got some good topics we're going to cover. Uh, I want to understand a little bit about, you know, Dan, I like to understand, uh, you know, kind of who the guests are, where they've come from. Uh, he's actually a, a decorated veteran, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about his, his company and, and kind of how that started, some of the locations in Arizona uh, that they guide at, uh, and then we'll kind of um, tee up a discussion around Best of the West shooting system. So, like I had previously stated, he is one of the co-hosts of the Best of the West TV series. So. We'll get into some tactics around some of the shooting systems that they have, and, and some of the better calibers based on the different types of animals uh, that are taken. And then lastly, we always like to finish with getting to know Dan a little more around his personal hunting uh, itinerary. So we'll talk about maybe his 16 hunting season and how that went, uh, what he's got you know, maybe planned for this year in 17, and I know he's a busy guy on the trade show circuit, so we'll talk about where else you can find Dan uh, and his company uh, on the trade shows as we go forward. So. Um, just to kind of break the ice, Dan, maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know I've, I've kind of looked, done a little research, and you know, you're know you a veteran uh, from the United States Air Force, actually a captain, so that's pretty um, distinguished and notable. Just kind of tell the guests a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks. So uh, I studied at the University of Arizona and their
0: ROTC program. So when I graduated from that, I was commissioned officer in the Air Force. I served... Uh, Uh, domestically here in Virginia at Langley Air Force Base, uh, Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Arizona, Moody Air Force Base in Georgia. A lot of TDYs and deployments overseas to some great places, some less than great places, but mostly a great time. And it's amazing, Lucas. I considered myself a big-time patriot before I went in the military and then while I was in the military. i tell you, after you leave the service, you realize you're even more of a patriot, more grateful for the freedoms you have. And as a hunting guide, specifically as an owner and outfitter of diamond outfitters, I'm really grateful that I live in a place where I get to do this because of the the risk the men and women are willing to take for us to have this type of freedom. So it's very special to me. And uh, being a native to Arizona, it was only natural after I left the military that that's where I'd set up my base for guiding and outfitting. Very cool. So have you were you
1: born and raised in Arizona then so yep native okay. Arizona product born and raised and the only time I haven't lived there is during my Air Force time okay and as a kid I mean were you a pretty avid outdoorsman or kind of where did that um, part of your life start to take place so my grandfather was a diehard
0: fisherman and at five years old I inherited a fishing rod from him and that kind of started the passion for the outdoors picked up a little bit of small game hunting about that same time really is about age 10 11 when I was old enough to carry a bow uh, that a good buddy of mine in fifth grade and invited me to go on a four-wheeling trip with him and his dad, and i had never been on such an adventure, and we went in a 68 Ford Bronco, just an awesome machine still today, and went out and saw a lot of elk, a lot of deer, it was snowing, we chased some rabbits, a couple coyotes, and that was it. I mean, from that moment forward, I knew I was going to be not just a fisherman, but an outfitter and a hunter, and um, I never knew it would turn into all this, that's for sure, I always thought I'd be a career Air Force guy. Uh, but to see where we are today with
1: almost 50 guides on the team, it's a real blessing for, for my wife and I and my kids. Absolutely. That's a neat story. So kind of digging into a little bit of around uh, Diamond Outfitters, Um, Maybe just give us a little history uh, and some background about the company, kind of how it was founded, uh, and then we can kind of go into some of the services that you provide. Sure, so uh, it's actually a pretty
0: cool story. Shortly after leaving the Air Force, we were on a hunt in Colorado. Uh, Two great friends of mine, Mark Swift and Pat Romero, and we had a, a group camp there, and I think we had nine nice mature mule deer in camp and one big bull elk in Colorado. We're sitting around the campfire again, just months after I left the Air Force, and I look at the guys, and I've got kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, I'd like to think, and I looked at these guys, and I said, you know, guys, we're pretty good glassers, and I'm pretty proud of what we're looking at here in in camp. I said, uh, I got a crazy question for you guys. If I did the paperwork and the permits and the insurance and filing for an LLC, would you guys consider guiding a deer and elk hunt for me once a year? We'd do it, you know, it'd be small, nothing crazy but maybe do two or three hunts a year so that we could afford a new pair of glass or maybe to go on trips like this to Colorado. And they both said, yeah, if you're willing to do all the legwork, we'll, we'll take some leave from work every year and go hunt with you and glass with you and guide with you. So I think the first year we probably guided three or four clients. The next year we guided maybe five or seven clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just turned in our 2016 guide report with over 100 clients on wow. it and now nearly 50 guides. And unofficially, I believe we are the largest outfitter between Arizona and New Mexico uh, in the western United States hopefully that'll be official soon um, but I'm doing the research to see if that's true being larger and, and bigger doesn't make us greater than anybody else but it is a tribute to the clients that we've had, the trophies that they've taken and the relationships that we've built during that time that have brought us to this stage
1: where we are now mm-hmm. and it's, it's an honor to, to lead that company of, of, of guides that's neat, uh, are a lot of your clients, are they returning <laughs> clients or are they new clients or is it a mix of both it's
0: a good mix of both for the for the hunts that are really difficult to draw, and, and just as a side note, Arizona is not as hard to draw as a lot of, uh, uh, of a lot of us are led to believe. So don't let it prevent you from, from trying. But a lot of our hunts that are uh, easy, attainable tags, guys can come year after year, archery tags, rifle tags. Uh, you know, a guy that's a dedicated mule deer hunter or a coos deer hunter, a black bear, a lion guy. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to hunt annually. Arizona just recently introduced some over-the-counter elk tags that a lot of people don't know about. So there's a lot of opportunity to return to Arizona. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is more than the hunting Lucas, is they come back for the camaraderie. You know, if they do a hunt with Pat or they do a hunt with Mark, they come back and ask for Pat or Mark. If they hunted with me or Travis, they ask for me or Travis. So hunting is just a great consortium of relationships that build up over time. And ultimately they come as a client, leave as a friend. And I know that's trite in today's society. We all like to say it, but our business is living proof. You know, when we come here to the trade shows and have two, 300 references on our brochures, but also people walking around the show that stop by and visit with us. And when a, cl- a prospective new client come up, I just turn to that client and say, tell them about your coos deer hunt, or tell them mm-hmm. about your elk hunt with us, or tell them about your lion hunt with us. And it's one of those deals that kind of just sells itself. So I'm grateful for that. Nothing's better than word of mouth, but I still love going to the trade show circuit every year because it's a chance to reconnect. It's kind of like a family reunion. And I like to see everybody. And as I always joke, I know all of our clients won't come to Arizona to see us in the winter, so we'll just come and see them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I've noticed in this industry is, you know, reputation speaks very highly. And uh, for the companies that have the reputation you don't have to market as much. You don't have to be out there. You know, it's great to be at the trade shows, but, you know, typically your name will sell itself, right, if you've got a great product. So I'd like to think that. That's mostly true. Um, I do enjoy coming to, like, Sheep Week is a
0: perfect example where I do have a few speaking engagements, and I get to be on stage and talk about long-range hunting and ethics or elk hunting or mule deer hunting or coos deer hunting because it's a captive audience of people like-minded Severe, you know, mm-hmm. sincerely uh, invested in the long-term health of those species and, and folks that want to sit around and, and kind of shoot the bull for an hour or two on on those topics. And again, they're, they're men and women that you want to spend time with anyway, so to be able to present to them and then make it a a group discussion where I'm not dictating anything, but really listening to to the crowd. It's amazing when you're a seminar speaker, you could have 50 people, a hundred people, a thousand people in the room. And what the, the secret probably is, is that I may learn more during that seminar from some of the people in the audience that they may learn from me. So mm-hmm. uh, it's certainly a win-win scenario and I enjoy it every year. And that's one of the things that keeps me coming back. Uh, in fact, in some stages now, with our hunting business being as busy as it is, the first couple days, like a Wednesday, Thursday of a trade show, I may send one of the team leaders from Diamond Outfitters, and I may not come till the Friday or Saturday. In this case, I didn't come till yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, the day before my speaking engagements, which uh, uh, just is kind of an evolution of the company thing that is where we
1: are, but I love those seminars, and I love getting a chance to talk about the animals I'm passionate about. Yeah, very good. Um, Talk a little bit about some of the services you provide. I know we've talked about some of the animals, but if I was to show up at Diamond Outfitters in September in in, in 2017, what would I expect as a client? So I think what would surprise a lot of people is a lot of people
0: think of Arizona as uh, tumbleweeds and rattlesnakes. And to a certain extent, I want to keep that fallacy uh, secret, but the reality is that the northern half of Arizona is the largest ponderosa pine forest in the world. Arizona is the sixth largest state in the Union. It's a massive, massive place. And another kind of misconception about Arizona is when people hear the term hunting public land, which we do private and public land, but I think a lot of people hear the term public land and they want to run for the exits. You know, it totally freaks them out. They picture, you know, a, a blaze orange vest on every hill and it kind of scares them. You might be surprised to know Arizona has 13 huntable big game species. Now, granted, that includes two different varieties of deer, two different varieties of sheep, three different varieties of turkey. But when you do the math, it totals 13 different huntable species. So if you were to come in August or September, you'd find us at the beginning of our seasons for archery deer, archery and rifle antelope, archery elk, and uh, black bear as well. Uh, and that's going to start in late August or Sept- and into the beginning of September. And the months leading up to that, after trade show season, it's a heavy time for us to be- continue our lion hunting, uh, over-the-counter archery deer hunting. And then in the summer, you know, when people would think we've got a lot of time off, running trail cameras, finding sheds to validate what bulls and bucks are still alive that we think are still alive. Uh, and the trail cameras, things like that, really occupy a lot of the time. It's a great way to get out in the woods with the family, too, especially once the kids are out of school. So it's one of our favorite parts of the season, especially when you do find a buck or a bull that you've been watching for a while is, is not only surviving, but thriving and, and going to be huntable for that mm-hmm. following year. So it's it's a really rewarding year-round business. And I think that's one of the other things that has elevated our company to the next level is we are a full-time guide and, and uh, outfitter service. So being able to be full-time, totally dedicated to our clients, having great
1: experiences has made a big difference in our success. Yeah. So in your camp, I mean, typically how many groups can you facilitate at one time? So t- so typically what we'll do is if, a, if there's
0: a group of four clients, we'll try to close that camp to them. Uh, if that particular group is closer to six or eight, we can accommodate that. We have a legendary... 73-year-old cook who's going on 25 years old, I wouldn't want to fight the man who is legendary Dutch oven cooker, and uh, his camps are always awesome. So when we get to that four, six, or eight level with a group, you know, you get Cowboy Jim, sometimes his family, and it does elevate the experience. If it's a smaller group, maybe one hunter or two hunters, there might be a, a hunter or two in camp that they'll be meeting for the first time, which mm-hmm. I know for a lot of folks can seem awkward at first, but 100% of the time over the last 14 years, by the end of that hunt those strangers are now hunting buddies yeah uh, and even if they were one on one where they only saw each other at breakfast time and dinner time by the end of a week in one of our deer elk or, or bear camps they're going to be friends and they are probably going to be exchanging text messages and christmas cards and things like that it's the really the the most thing I, the thing i'm most proud of probably diamond outfitters is the relationships we've built along the way and
1: our clients uh, really do become friends and it's re- really special yeah it's always neat the camaraderie when you do hunts like that or if you share camps with somebody you do you almost become lifetime friends you know it's hunting binds people like that unlike in my opinion any other sport any other hobby out there for sure i mean if, if you and i were to spend a week in archery elk
0: camp together you know 24 7 trying to get within you know 20 to 50 yards of a big bull uh, after those seven days we're going to be battle buddies i yeah. mean we'll have been through a lot together you may yeah. have taken the biggest elk
1: of your life and and that's not a moment you're going to forget so it's it's a neat thing yep Okay, moving on. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the areas and the units uh, that you guide in. It is, you know, application season right now, so it's a busy time. Uh, for folks trying to apply, you know, you know to your point, and you, you're absolutely correct. I mean, for folks that want to draw a Unit 9 archery tag, you know, that's going to be a tough draw, right? But as you start looking at some of the mid-tier units, um, you know, three to four points is realistic, and you can still find good quality bulls in a lot of those units. So talk a little bit about, you know, some of the areas that you guys guide in, really specifically uh, for elk, since that's kind of the application season right now. Sure. So I think the first thing
0: to, for people to understand when they think of Arizona and elk is if they want to know where the elk habitat is in our state, you kind of have to draw a sideways letter L, uh, where the long leg of the L would kind of go across the Interstate 40 corridor, about 40 miles north and south of it, from California all the way to New Mexico, and then it shoots straight down about 60 miles, and uh, that would be kind of like your sideways letter L. So our company is really fortunate, with nearly 50 guides on the team, we're actually guiding in every single elk unit, uh, encompassing a little over 13 million acres of public and private. And one cool thing that our customers really enjoy about our company, because units and quality bulls vary dramatically from year to year. Hunt tags and permits allocated can uh, drastically be different from year to year. And weather. You know, uh, 300 miles away in a different elk camp can be dramatically different. One yeah. year, one area could have a, a great monsoon. Another area could have a, a, a non-existent monsoon. And when the bulls are topping off in July and August before they shed, that's a big deal. Yeah. So one of the things that hunters have really said they appreciate about us at, at shows like this and uh, when they call us is we have a full in-house concierge. And that we're not the only company that does that. There's some really no national companies that do it as well that I'm friends with. But when a client says, Dan, I want to hunt with you, they typically don't say, I want to hunt in zone A or zone B. They say, I want hunt and this is the physical conditioning I'm in, this is how far I can shoot my gun or bow Uh, this is the type of habitat or the elevation I'm comfortable hunting in and then we will share with them based on that information basically two different units uh, because you get two choices on your application. Now when you fill out an Arizona application you see five choices but Mm -hmm. only your first two choices count. We can go into that in detail later if you'd like but the bottom line is if you're filling out your own application at home only your first two choices for bull elk will be considered. So after I've had that consultation with the client, it's like an 8- to 12-minute phone call. Again, based on the way they like to hunt, their conditionings, their expectation of bulls, I'm going to recommend two choices for them. And uh, if they agree that they can come on those dates and that type of hunt is what they want, then right there while we're on the phone, I'll either put them in online or give them the hunt numbers to apply online. Arizona, the last couple of years, actually the entire West, you know, my travels with Best of the West and Diamond Outfitters take me to a lot of different elk camps every year. And one of the things i found is that the last couple of years, elk harvest of quality bulls was down across the West. And as I talk to Outfitters here at Cheap Week, I hear the same thing. So that's bigger stuff than us. That's not a matter of overhunting or underhunting. That's just kind of nature doing its own thing. Yeah. The thing that's exciting for 2017, 2018, 2019 is if you walk around here, every single elk outfitter, including myself, is extremely optimistic about the next few years. Elk specifically are very resilient animals, very tough animals, and they don't stay down for long. And don't don't misinterpret what I'm saying. We still killed some monster bulls throughout the West this past year. But overall, the hunter experience for trophy bulls was down. And Arizona is constantly chasing that number. And I'm saying that in a positive light. Arizona's always prided itself on being a quality state, not a quantity state, considering our herd of elk is only 35,000 compared to Colorado, which is over Mm 300,000. So just this year, for example, in one of the units that I know a lot of folks are interested in, say unit 10, for example, which 50% of that unit is public land and 50% is private land quality was down so far that they cut the tags by 20 percent for 2017. But Arizona's also made some changes to game and fish laws that are going to help the non-resident hunter who has essentially less than 10 to 12 points. And that's something that's important to understand. And, And the brief synopsis of that is up until last year, non-resident maximum point holders, which for elk was in the low 20s, they were going to get 10% of the tags. Uh, They were going to be eligible for 20% of the tags, but only up to 10% non-resident cap. Last year, they changed that to 5%. So that opened 5%, which may not sound like a lot, but you actually doubled the amount of non-resident elk tags available in the general pool. Uh, Now, that general pool is also open to residents, so they're competing with residents, but for folks that are coming up and signing up for Diamond Outfitter Services today, they're going to draw, realistically, two, maybe three. Uh, rifle hunts for elk in the next 10 to 12 years, and probably one to two archery elk hunts in the next one to two years. So every year, state by state, uh, we actually call every single client. As amazing, as as difficult as that sounds, Joey Kretschmer is back home doing it right now for us. He's one of our lead guides, and he's just having that consultation. Hey, last year, this is how we did in Zone Y. This is our expectation for Zone Y this coming year, and based on your file, this is the area that you like to hunt. This is the elevation, the temperature, Mm -hmm. the season, and if those dates match up for you, that's the hunt we should put you in for. So um, throughout the west, specifically Arizona and New Mexico, quality bull elk harvest last two years was down. We have very high expectations for this coming year. Right now at our home, as you indicated here in Reno, we've got some weather kind of intermittent. But at home right now, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, about an hour north of my house, uh, it's got 25 inches of snow overnight. We've got about 4 inches at the house where we live at 6,000 feet. And this is our fourth major winter storm uh, of the year, and it's January 21st. So uh, we've got a lot of good snow that's going to lead to a lot of great feed. And as yeah. you know,
1: nutrition and genetics are the key. Yeah, which will hopefully lead to, you know, not a drought season where it's the difference of a, you know, 340 bowl it could be a 360 bowl, right? Yeah. Just a matter of, of a drought season. So back on your discussion about, you know, how Arizona changed um, the application process. So if I'm a non-resident and my first two choices count, so let's say I want to swing for the fence and put in for a unit nine or a unit 10, And I don't get that. So the way the system works is, so 10% of the tags are allocated to non-residents, 5% go to the point holders, 5% go into random. So statistically, if I had, let's say I had eight points, statistically, I still have a shot at drawing in that 5% random pool. Yeah, and that 5% in the... Uh, max
0: pool is a, ma- is a, is a max. So mm-hmm. it could be less. So, so let's say only 4% go in the max pool, then 6% could be, potentially be eligible. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right on the numbers. There's a statistic possibility. But one of the things I'll talk about with my clients during that eight to 12 minute consultation is, hey, if you want to take a shot at unit nine, let's say, for example, for archery, which is another unit where quality has varied the last few years, um, I'll just let them know, if you have less than 15 points, The statistic probability is less than 1%. But if you have 7 or 8 points, you jump up to 5 or 10%, whatever that number is for Mm -hmm. each unit, which varies from year to year, and Joey's making those calls now to make sure people know, it's a big deal when you jump to those. The other thing is we talk a little bit about mid-tier units, and your mid-tier units, all of your mid-tier units in Arizona have 350-inch bulls. So when you hear me say that our clients can draw two to three tags in a 10-year period, if What somebody might call a mid-tier unit kind of would be the secret to a lot of outfitter success in Arizona is there really are no mid-tier units. Mm-hmm. There's just units that get a lot more publicity. Now, to add to that, there are a few areas from year to year that Game and Fish manages differently for a higher bull to cow ratio and a higher uh, preponderance of older age class bulls. Mm-hmm. So that part's not debatable, but the statistical fact remains the same that if you play the game right and you have your consultation with us or whoever your, your advocate is in that application process, if you play the game right, uh, you'll be successful. And and to that point, this year in our, our late rifle camps, I would say our, our total number of hunters over those 13 million acres, several different camps, uh, let's say it was 35. Well, seven of those were the first time I ever put them in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people would walk by here and say, man, I'd love to hunt with you in Arizona, but I'll never get drawn. i love to just look at them and say, well, seven, seven of my clients last year were the first time I ever put them in for elk. And that just is a jaw-dropping moment sure. for them because all they hear is it's impossible to yeah. draw. Yeah. The other thing is they hear, like you said, the nines, the tens, some of these areas are the best. Well, they can be from year to year. But here's the amazing thing about elk—they don't know unit boundaries—and if you want to call the neighboring unit a lesser tier unit, which is fine to do, the fact is is that the elk don't know that. So if they want to walk across a dirt road into another unit, and 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 uh, during the rut, they're going to, and mm-hmm. they're going to do it freely, and that's where some of these sleeper bulls get killed. And that's one of the really things that's fun about this business—is you know you think you have a plan. What's the old saying? Man made make man makes plans and God laughs, right? So. You know, we have all these bulls on trail camera, we have this hit list, and then we'll be out there doing our thing, and boom, here's a new bull we've never seen. Mm-hmm. Not not only not seen this year, but never seen before at all.
1: Uh, and that's a really exciting moment for our clients. In your professional opinion and, you know, being a resident there and and obviously having a very successful um, guide guiding service, if you had a guy that came to you and said, I've got max points for Arizona and I want to hunt in September... What unit would you apply him or recommend him to apply in? I'd still be looking at
0: the 23s. I'd still be looking at the 9s and 10s. I'd still be looking at the 7 West. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, those are kind of your traditional favorites. But a max point holder is going to be treated different in our consultation system than a first-time applicant because they have better statistical probability. Another thing is when I meet somebody with like 10 or 12 points where they're stuck in the middle where they could draw a great archery tag, but have statistically less than .05% chance of drawing an early rifle bull tag, you know, now you've got a a conversation with that client, hey, I think you can draw a trophy archery tag. Do you have any inclination to pick up a bow? Because if they say no... They have way more points than they need for a late rifle hunt, but yeah. way less than they need for an a, a early rifle hunt. So it puts them in what I call elk no-man's land. And you don't want to be in elk no-man's land. Just go hunt. Get the tag and mm-hmm. go hunt. And that's, a, that's something that I'm very big proponent of. Get the tag and go hunt. Um, just because TV shows, which obviously being in that industry I guess I can be guilty of, and magazines and things like that, highlight two or three areas of Arizona just keep in mind that that means that that zone is going to get 10 20,000 applicants when the zone across a dirt road from it might get two or 3,000. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm such a proponent of our concierge service or, or the general speaking, generally speaking, the concierge services that are available out there because nothing beats boots on the ground knowledge. And us and my team being there year-round can say, you know, 4A, uh, nobody talks about 4A and then we'll kill a few giant bulls in 4A and then we're thinking hey look at all the bulls we didn't kill in there that were over 350 this year and I'm just throwing a unit out there just for Mm -hmm. case in point that the way Arizona set up, so vast, so big, so deep lot of places for bulls to hide and grow old. And when the nutrition is there and the genetics are there, every unit, right now as we speak, has bulls that are 350, getting ready to shed 350 and bigger. So I think it's not so much getting caught up on individual units, although I think for a max point holder, those those units still remain the same, just because they have more preponderance of bulls in that category. But that doesn't mean that guys that have an early elk tag anywhere in Arizona are going to be disappointed, because they're simply not. They're
1: going to have an incredible experience. Okay. So Based on some of the, we talked a little bit about some of the services that you provide, um, what specific species do you guys offer? And then and maybe talking through a couple of those species, what, what would be a trophy class animal or what would someone expect coming in uh, through your outfit? Sure. So
0: although we claim that we guide for all 13 species in Arizona, our company over the last 14 years has certainly evolved into a elk, coos deer, mule deer, black bear, and lion business. We still kill some giant antelope, Uh, we still kill a lot of javelina, but those five just seem to be courtesy of our clients where we've kind of evolved and kind of morphed into. So those five. So let's start with the first one, with a bull elk client on a late rifle hunt. Question number one, if you were my client, would be, you know, what's your elk hunting background? What have you killed before? Uh, because a lot of my clients, especially from the Midwest, back east, and in the south, they've never hunted elk before. I'm going to have a very hard time keeping them off the trigger of any bull around 300 inches. I might ha- even have them uh, a hard time keeping them off of any 6x6, six six, even if he's a 240. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, if it's your tag, Lucas, you shoot whatever makes you happy. It's my job to make you happy. But on the trophy side of it, on these late rifle hunts, I would tell a client, you know, if you have an elk hunting background and you've not killed anything in that 320, 330 range and above, that's going to be a bull we may not want to pass on, uh, especially fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day. Mm -hmm. Do we kill a lot of bulls over 350 on the late hunt? You bet. As you saw on the website, we do. Do we Mm -hmm. kill a lot of bulls over 360, 370, occasionally even 380 on the late hunt? Yes. But what I have a clear conscience and a clear heart telling you to come to Arizona on the late hunt to do... Uh, a 380 hunt, only if you're a biggest bull prider, that's 370, you know, if that's the standard for you as an individual client. But generally speaking, late hunts, I'm looking for 320, 330 and above. We'll kill some all the way up into the 380, sometimes bigger. We put a muzzleloader or into a 390 type bull last year. Actually, now it'd be uh, 2015, so a year and a half ago now. Um, So anything can happen in Arizona. On the early archery hunts, I'm a total archery snob, so I'm thinking 350 and up most of the units during the archery season because it's in the peak of the rut, 315 and up. And then for those few hunters who have uh, been privileged enough to draw an early tag, early rifle, or early muzzleloader, 350, 316 and above. Mm-hmm. But again, those are general guidelines based on my statistics and not the individual client statistics. So if you've already killed a lot of 370 bulls, well, then your bar is going to be 380, 390 and above, and sure. we're going to honor that. Yeah. When you start looking at critters like antelope, Arizona doesn't offer a lot of antelope tags because it doesn't have a lot of antelope, but it does have a lot of quality. So we've gained a lot of recognition lately for a couple of the bucks we've killed in the high 80s and if, even a few into the low 90s. Wow. Um, one in particular that's got a lot of national attention in magazines and things like that. It was almost 93 inches, and that's a huge deal in the wow. antelope world. Yeah, that's a and, big antelope. Mm-hmm. When you look at coos deer, A kind of general guideline is you're looking for a 4- or 5-year-old deer, 4- or 5-year-old deer also for mule deer. On the coos deer side, anything over 90 is fully mature. 100-inch is a trophy, and 110 is Boone and Crockett. For those that aren't familiar with coos deer, consider a 90-inch coos deer, the same as a 350 bull elk, 100-inch coos deer, the same as a 360 bull elk, and a 110 coos deer, the same as a 375 bull elk. So that kind of be the same. On our mule deer hunts, for the desert Sonoran mule deer around the state, uh, again, if a hunter doesn't have a lot of experience with mule deer, I wouldn't encourage them to pass many 160s. Uh, on the upper rim of the Grand Canyon, the Kaibab, the Strip, then you're really looking for, like, that 180 and above class, and we've k- killed some into the 200s. Uh, I wouldn't say routinely, but but regularly. And then on your uh, black bear, you know, just the biggest, ugliest, nastiest boar we can find. Mm-hmm. Arizona does uh, have limits on, on sows. We have a sow quota that shuts the hunt down. And obviously we want to focus on the boars, they're generally speaking bigger. Cool thing about Arizona when it comes to trophy class on bears is in addition to it being a big ugly old boar is per capita I'm told we're actually the highest color phase for black bears in the the United States. Don't mishear me, we don't have the most black bears in the United States but per capita we have the most color phase bears. And uh, a big bear in Arizona can be 300 to 400 pounds. Our biggest last year, I believe, was 415. Wow! Really cool bear, and we got him on opening day. We were 100% opportunity on black bear last year. That's without dogs. We can hunt them with or without. But even our our hunts without dogs last year were 100% opportunity. And big black bears and canyons are really fun to hunt. Even if you're an elk or deer outfit, uh, got uh, elk or deer hunter who doesn't have a lot of interest in black bear, hunt them one time. Get it out of your system because hunting bears is is pretty unique and finding them and getting to watch them. And see their behavior is pretty awesome Um, so that would be some of the trophy quality you'd be expecting on a hunt with me but ultimately it'll come down to you what how many animals
1: in that trophy class you've harvested and we'll set your personal bar there yeah okay um let's kind of transition and let's talk a little bit about the best of the west shooting system so i know you know we talked about earlier um you know you're a huge supporter and and uh you know co-host of the best of the west tv series and I guess just kind of walk us through, you know, what is your role at Best of the West and how do you fit in uh, with that group? Sure, so kind of a funny story. A lot of people don't know this about me, but
0: for several years I hosted, co-hosted an archery hunting show and I considered myself a professional archery hunter and I own rifles but wasn't really into the rifle movement I just loved to bow hunt because that's what I grew up doing. And a few years ago uh, I started a relationship with the Best of the West right here at Sheep Week in Reno and uh, <laughs> it's one of those foot foot and mouth moments in my life where I remember saying to one of the team members, you know, I don't really know about this whole long-range movement. I'm a bow hunter by trade. I said, quite frankly, I'm not even sure long-range hunting is ethical. So how ironic is it to hear that in four hours from now, today, I'll be giving a seminar called Long-Range Hunting and Ethics. So what they said to my kind of smart-aleck comment was, well, I tell you what, why don't you come to a couple of our shooting courses, our long-range shooting courses as a student and Tell me what you think after you've experienced some of that. Uh, Learning how to read the wind, learning how to dope, learning how to, uh, you know, animal behavior, when to shoot, when not to shoot, and really just try some of our systems. So in Oregon I did that, then a couple weeks later I did another one in Wyoming. And two months later, Lucas, I was co-teaching the class. Wow. Uh, If you're a poker player, you've you've heard the term Mm all-in. I was all-in. Once I had experienced the product, I'd experienced the training and and really made a commitment to practicing and training, I knew this was something that I definitely wanted to be involved in. So my involvement at that point uh, was to co-host the television show. I would say anywhere from 6 to 10, maybe 11 episodes a year. I've filmed a lot in Arizona where we filmed Diamond Outfitters hunts with our Huskamaw systems or Best of the West systems as well. But I've also done hunts for them in Colorado, uh, overseas in Ireland, overseas in Africa, maybe taking the team to Argentina in a couple months. And just two days ago, we got back from a long-range coos deer hunt in old Mexico, where we killed deer all the way out to 1,150 yards. Wow. So uh, again, it's, it's a commitment to practice. It's a commitment to training. People that come to my long-range hunting and ethics seminar today will not leave there and be a 1,000-yard shooter. I would think that would be on the unethical side of the spectrum. It just means that you have equipment that's capable of it, but you may not have the practice and the technique and the training. So I'll even tell a guy, you know, don't go buy my rifle system today and tomorrow think you're a long range guy. Mm -hmm. It's an art. It's something you have to commit to and practice. Um, So my role is as a co-host of the television program, a shooting instructor at our schools and also the Huskama Challenge, which is an annual shooting competition we put on in June in Cody, Wyoming very inexpensive with an amateur class and a pro class so anybody can come out and play with our long-range systems have a good time and then i have an arizona dealership for both best of the west rifle systems and then our Husqvarna scopes and accessories so uh, it's a fun relationship it's something i really enjoy where a lot of people run from the spotlight or run from the camera or would run from you know public speaking opportunity i really enjoy it it's Mm -hmm. kind of my niche i love uh, being able to relate and talk to uh fellow hunters about the animals and the systems the hunting systems that i'm passionate about it's really one of the greatest professional privileges i could imagine i remember thinking the day i signed with the best of the west that i felt like i had been called up from the minors to the major leagues so if you're an athlete and you've ever played sports you know the moment i kind of was given this opportunity to become part of the best of the west i really felt like you know i'd gone from you know uh the the minor leagues uh baseball team all the way up to a starting pitcher for a world series contender Mm -hmm. it was that big a deal to me
1: yeah I uh, I think about the sheep show and, you know, best of the West being here. You know, some people can't get within five 600 yards of a sheep, right? Some people just from a handicap standpoint can't do that. So, you know, when you shoot the systems, you realize that when it's set up right and you've been trained and understand, you know, mirage and wind at certain distances, it is ethical, right? And it's an ethical kill a lot of times because the The rifles are set up dead on. I mean, the ammunition's matched to the to the to the gun, which the guns match to the optics, and it really is ethical. And you know, there is a movement of folks out there that think it is wrong. But if you're trained on it, you've been to the courses. Which I think, if you're going to invest that ima- much amount of money in a rifle, you need to take the course. Right? You need to understand your weapon. Um, it's an ethical way of hunting, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, and it is that commitment. But really, uh, it's one of those things where walk, walk a mile in someone's moccasins because I didn't think you know, how I felt about the subject until I agreed to go to the course. And once I learned how to read the wind, mirage, dope, once I really committed to understanding the optics and that there's three different planes on my optics that I can really learn to understand and take to my advantage, where you can take a guy who's been a two, 300-yard shooter his whole life, put a system in his hand that is literally accurate to 1,500 yards, not meaning he's going to shoot to 1,500 yards, but now meaning that instead of a two or 300-yard guy, he's an ethical 4 or 500-yard guy, and that is important for a hunter who may not be able to get any closer to a sheep or a mountain goat or a coos deer or that canyon between you. God's not going to make that close up in the next you know days during your hunt, so you've got to be able to reach out and touch them sometimes, and it's just a, a scenario where you've got to take your time. One of my best memories of shooting a coos deer at long range in Arizona, a videographer, and I said, you know what, it's 817 yards, I'm gonna go ahead and take that buck. And he said, okay. And I remember a few minutes later, as I walked back to my pack to get some of my accessories ready for the long range shot, I heard him say, I'm ready. And in my mind, I caught and I thought I'm. thought kind of thought, I'm ready for what? You know, like, what's the rest of his sentence? But I kept fumbling around in my pack, getting all the stuff out I needed, and then I heard him say, I'm ready again. So at that point, I figured it was time to look at him and see what it is he's talking about he's ready for. Well, I looked, and he was in his camera on the deer with his earplug. I said, Nate, Nate. He said, yeah. I said, it's going to be like 20 minutes before I shoot this deer. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I can't get set up for a shot at 817 yards right now. It's going to take some time. Yeah. And he looks at me totally dumbfounded and says... Well, what if the deer goes over the cliff? And I said, well, if the deer goes over the other side of the hill, I'm not going to shoot it. It was just that simple, but that's not a shot you can rush. And if I don't get the opportunity, I'm okay with that. I understand in the long range movement, I may not have every opportunity, but I also understand the long range movement. There's a higher chance and higher probability that deer will never even know I was there, which will give me that extra time to make that shot. That's one of the things we really spend a lot of time on in our long range courses is the animal behavior side of it too. So, you Mm -hmm. know, and you can kind of judge
1: just how much time you have. Yeah. In your opinion, what's the best overall caliber? Um, you, know, you said you, you hunt coos deer, you guys hunt elk, you do probably some some mule deer as well. If someone was to come to you and say, hey, these are the three species that I want to hunt, what would you recommend as a, as a caliber for them uh, in that circumstance? I think right
0: now what I've seen, and this is firing you know countless hundreds, if not thousands of rounds through these best OS rifle systems in the last four years, it would be very tough for me to suggest uh, anything outside the 7 mag Seven mm is a, a very unique cartridge. It's perfectly chambered for all animals. If you punch a uh, uh, bull moose or elk in the lungs, it's not gonna go very far. It's gonna be a clean clean, quick, ethical kill, uh, all the way up to grizzly bear. Be kind of, you know, you start getting on your three hundreds at that point, but if I if it was one caliber universal in Arizona, that's seven mag, especially for a guy three hundred to eight hundred yard shooter. If we start getting into clients who are committed to the practice, are committed to the training and really do want to become Significantly long-range hunters, not just shooters, but long-range hunters. At that point, I'd probably push hard, and it would be a tie in my mind uh, between the 6.5-284 and the 28 Nosler. And that will surprise a lot of people. But a great conversation I had with another co-host of the Best of West, well-known guy named John Porter. He actually told me he has seen more elk and sheep die at 900 yards at the hands of women and children. Uh, with that 6.5284, than any other caliber. And I know that will surprise a lot of people to hear that. But the reason is is that when you have a 6.5284 or 28 Nosler and the brake that we put on our custom rifles, a lot of women and children don't have the bad habits that we do as adult male shooters. And um, that lack of recoil really gives a youth hunter or small framed hunter um, an advantage because they're not going to have the bad habits and they're not going to jump from recoil because they're not experiencing much recoil in those calibers. The, probably the biggest difference on a big elk, let's say at 900 or 1,000 yards with the 65284, is you're not going to get the dramatic drop in his tracks that you're going to get with your 300 caliber series for the most part. But he's a good double lung shot. He's not going to go more than 20 or 40 yards either. So I would say for for the truly long range community that's going, you know, 600 to 1,000 yards, you want to look hard at the 28 Nosler and the six five two eighty-four. And if you're going to be in that, you know, close range out to six, seven hundred yards, maybe even eight hundred yards, for anything North America, that
1: seven mag is really, really universal and tough to beat. To become proficient, in your eyes, I mean, what's a time frame? Because there's a lot of people. To your point, they'll go to a seminar. Hey, I can do that. I'm going to buy the rifle and I'm going to shoot a thousand yards. But in your opinion, for someone to become proficient to shoot the system, I mean, what's a time frame? I mean, realistically. So that's a great question. Um, I would rather somebody who buys our
0: system, and understand you can't do this on older firearms, but on today's modern firearms, dry firing's okay. And I would rather have a client who could dry fire their their system, you know, let's say in their backyard and, 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 you know, throw a rock, you know, out there at a couple hundred yards and and dry fire on that rock a couple times. Um, And if you could do that three times a day in the morning before you go to work and three times in the evening when you get home, I would much rather have a a client who would do that than somebody who goes to the range and burns a couple boxes of powder every other week. Because what I'm really looking for for that long range hunter is muscle memory. And when they're dry firing, when that trigger breaks, that firing pin falls, what is their crosshair doing on that rock? Are they picking up any movement at all? And if they are, they're flinching. And they're even flinching when they know there's no round in the chamber. Because flinch is a subconscious reaction to recoil or noise. So when you can minimize or eliminate the recoil and just get good dry fire practice, it's going to make a big difference. And the same is true for archery hunters. I'd rather somebody shoot inside their enclosed garage into a hay bale at 8 yards 3 times a day in the morning and 3 times a day in the evening because that's 6 a day times 5, that's 30 shots a week. Then you multiply that over 52 weeks in a year. And then still go to that rifle or archery range, you know, a couple times, three, four times a month, you're going to find that muscle memory is going to make you a proficient shooter significantly faster
1: than simply going to the range, you know, once or twice a month. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit about kind of your hunting season recap. Um, I'm sure you stay pretty well hooked up with your business, but did you at all get to get out in 16 and do some hunting for yourself?
0: Yeah, I did a little bit. I'm trying to remember what all it was. Um, We went to Alaska with Joe Tard, Alaska Wilderness Enterprises for the show. We just came back from Mexico where we did four uh, coos deer hunts. Uh, With Joe becoming an upcoming spring episode of The Best of the West, we hunted doll sheep and grizzly bear, and you'll have to watch to see what happens. It was an awesome long-range experience. Anytime you can take a piper cub into remote Alaska, you know it's going to be very special. Uh, Also on the Arizona side, I mentioned the old Mexico side of our business for a coos deer hunt. My good buddy Greg Joles, who I talked about earlier, whose dad had that bronco, he and I were able to take coos deer at long range this year, including my personal best, 908 yards, uh, and one of his personal best shots at a little under six, but what made his His shot special 15 mile an hour sideways blowing wind and a little bit of ice and rain and uh, just under 600 yards one MOA hold and he made a perfect shot and on my buck at 908 yards I actually lost the buck in the recoil which usually I take a lot of pride in actually seeing the point of impact well I lost this buck at the shot and um, Greg said he thought I hit it he was my spotter and I said well I'm the one that shot not you I won't make you walk all the way down there because 900 yards on a football field is way different than 900 yards in Coos Deer Country, as I'm mm-hmm. sure your audience can imagine. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what, you stay here and talk me in and I'll, I'll walk down there and I'll be darn Lucas, I hit that thing in the heart. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say there's not a little bit of luck involved, but there's a lot of rounds down my barrel before I would even consider a shot like that. And setting up on that buck took well over 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. and I probably dry-fired a dozen times. And it was about that 12th time. And that was with the 6.5-284, but actually that was a 28 Noser, I apologize. But that was about uh, the 12th or 13th time I dry-fired. And I just looked back at Greg, and I said, I am a solid a rest, you know, not just a front uh, uh, tripod, but also a rear Flatline Ops rear bag. So, I mean, I literally could have... Walked out of the gun and said, Lucas, jump in my rifle, and you'd seen the crosshair right on the deer's heart, too. Mm -hmm. So we had that good of a rest, but it still took over 20 minutes, and we heart shot that buck at 908. So I did have a few hunts this year that were great. More importantly, built some great relationships with new best of the West, Huskamon Diamond Outfitters clients. Brought some new guides into our team that I'm really excited about for the future. Almost 50 guides on the team now, about uh, six or seven of those guys full time. And a very exciting growth curve for our business. Really gro- really exciting time for, for being an outdoorsman or woman. Um, I know a lot of people are excited about the election and the interior secretary that's been nominated as a hunter because he is a hunter. And I think there's a lot of things to be excited about. And um, I'm always happy to talk to you or your audience about these long range hunting systems or hunting the West. And if you've never been able to do it before, never thought you could afford it, that's another thing that will really surprise you is uh, Western Outfitters, there's hunts all across the board for every budget. Every lifestyle, uh, whether you're a health nut or you
1: know you like to hunt from a truck, there's something for everybody. And 2017 is shaping up pretty darn great. Yeah. So speaking of 17, um, any plans or you have your sights set on anything in 17 that you're, you're planning to do, either personal or with the business? Yeah. I think uh, so. Obviously, we're in the trade show circuit
0: now. The biggest hunt that's on the docket—it's not even 100% official yet—is we're looking at an eight-animal safari in Argentina here in April. Uh, just off of memory, that's going to include things like red stag, black buck, buffalo, fallow deer, hogs, and about three different varieties of sheep and goats over there. Fair chase, 50,000 acre ranch. Um, I'll put a plug in for it. And it's uh, it's basically eight animals for the price of one. We're going to do a Best of the West shooting course out there in Argentina. It's in April. And it's $13,500 for eight animals. You and a non-hunting guest... Uh, and everything's included. Five star food, accommodations, airport pick up and drop off. Literally eight animals for the price of one plus the best of the West shooting Course included. Um, we're looking at going back in Alaska in 2017 or 2018. We're definitely going back to our Coos Deer concessions. And we've got a really cool baseball invitational. We're three World Series pitchers. Randy Myers, Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton are coming to Arizona November 10th for a Coos Deer hunt and a celebrity invitational that I'm really excited about. We'll do the long-range shooting course there as well. And then we've got all of our, our over-the-counter uh, archery deer uh, rifle, uh, bear, and lion clients, and then let's see what the draw brings for our our optimistic elk hunters. Mm-hmm. So a lot on the docket for 2017
1: and 2018, and certainly an exciting time for all of us. Cool. For uh, the kind of the rest of the trade show series and circuit, um, you know, where can folks find you? I know you've 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 already kind of been through a few of the shows so far, but um, you know, going forward, where else are you guys going to be? Yeah. So next weekend, uh, towards the end of January, here we'll be at Grand
0: Slam Club Ovis in Las Vegas. And then I'll go home, drive home. It's about three hours to Vegas from my place in Arizona. The following weekend, we'll be back in Las Vegas for Safari Club International. I don't have a booth there, but you can feel to reach out and text me or come to any of my speaking engagements or the Best of the West booth. I'll be there as well. Uh, The week after that puts us into the second week of February. That'll be the Portland Northwest Sports Expo. You can come see us there. Some seminars there as well. After Portland is the Wild Sheep Foundation chapter in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The weekend after that puts us in the first part of March. We'll be in Traverse City, Michigan with the Safari Club International chapter there. Then you can find us in mid, uh, mid-March mid at the Minneapolis, uh, what they call the Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation chapter, April 1st in Boise, Idaho. Um, and then off of memory in July is the World Deer Expo in Birmingham, Alabama. And then always on email or web or text, you know, we enjoy talking to fans of the show or long range shooters or folks that just have questions about elk, who's deer, mule deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pretty available, pretty accessible. I always tell people if they call and don't get me right away, don't hesitate to leave a message when I'm face to face with somebody. I don't answer my phone. And when we're in the woods, I don't answer the phone either. So a lot of trade show opportunities, a lot of social media opportunities, and we're pretty interactive. Uh, we like our downtime, but we also enjoy our job. You know, they say if you enjoy your job, you'll never feel like you've worked a day in your life. And I really do enjoy
1: our job, and I'm honored that it's become my career. Yeah, so, Dan, just to kind of recap, um, any closing comments for listeners today to take away based on, you know, Diamond Outfitters, Best of the West, anything you'd like to leave with? Yeah, I think for
0: the Best of the West perspective
1: is don't think you have
0: to go buy, necessarily have to buy a a long-range rifle system right off the gate. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to sell you one. But if you're not currently outperforming the rifle you own, let me just put a 5x20 Husqvarna scope on your rifle or a brake or a trigger job, and I can turn the gun you're shooting now into a long range rifle system. So don't feel like this isn't something you can afford, this isn't something you can do because it's too it's too expensive. If you're not outperforming your current equipment, let's modify the equipment you've got now. Call me, we'll talk about what that looks like. On the hunting side, it doesn't matter if you live in Colorado and you're familiar with Western hunting or you live in New Hampshire and you have no idea what Western hunting is like. Call me. Let's go over your options. I'm happy to educate you on the process, even if you never become a client, because I think a lot of people would have opportunities to hunt the West if they knew the facts. And unfortunately, a lot of people work with misinformation or just wrong information. And until you talk to somebody's boots on the ground, you really don't know what those opportunities or those costs are. You know, there's uh, Native American tribes, uh, elk hunts in Arizona that start at $40,000. Well, we have elk hunts in that same country that's $3,500, so don't think it can't be done don't think it's inaccessible, uh, and hopefully you tune in to Best of the West, and, and uh, hopefully you tune in to RNA Outdoors podcast, and uh, get to build a relationship with us, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of hunting opportunity. Don't let the cost, or don't let your perception of inaccessibility stop you from doing what you want to do. It's too great a country, true free
1: a country, and too many great Americans defending this country not to do the things you want to do. Yeah. Dan, I just I want to thank you. You know, today for your insight. Um, thank you for your service. I mean, that's something that's obviously a, a thankless job, and that's something that um, is obviously passionate to you. I was reading a little bit about on your website how you, you know, obviously you welcome you know wounded warriors and, and a lot of those um, nonprofits. I just I think that's just so neat um, the services that you guys provide. So um, again, thank you. Um, you can catch Dan here at the Sheep Show 2017. He's at Show Booth 819. Um, also today, uh, which is Saturday, um, the last day of Sheep Show, uh, he did talk about he'll be conducting a couple seminars, one around chasing big bulls of the West, and then he's also doing uh, a long-range rifle shooting um, seminar for Best of the West, so uh, a lot of good things happening. Uh, I'm excited to see kind of where Diamond Outfitters, you know, goes in the in the in the future years. And I just want to say, you know, I'm very fortunate to, to be here to sit down with you and, and talk about hunting, talk about your business. It's great marketing for 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 both sides, and I think it reaches a, a wide band of folks. So, anyway, thanks, Dan, for coming on. I want to thanks everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next time for another adventure on the RNA Outdoors Podcast. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to Podcasts app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it'll automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or just use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Instagram at Rod N Arrow Outdoors, and Facebook, RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well.